You are listening to the teaching and preaching of Dr. Warren Wearsby. This message was recorded while he served as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, or the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. For additional resources, please visit 2ProfitU.com. That's the number two, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-U.com. And now, Dr. Warren Wearsby. There are two books in the Old Testament that are devoted to women. The book of Ruth and the book of Esther. Ruth is the story of a Gentile who married a Jew, and Esther is the story of a Jewess who married a Gentile. Ruth is the book that begins with a famine, and Esther is the book that begins with a feast. Ruth ends with the birth of a baby, and Esther ends with the hanging of a traitor. Ruth takes place in the little town of Bethlehem where there had been poverty and famine. Esther takes place in the palace where the king is reigning. And yet both of these women played a tremendous role in the history of Israel. In fact, we wouldn't be here tonight were it not for these two women because it was through Ruth that uh, David was born, and uh, David, of course, was the great ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Esther was the one that God used to save the nation when the enemy was about to wipe the nation out. And so tonight we give thanks for these two women, and on a later occasion we'll have a an opportunity to meet Esther, but tonight we turn to the gospel according to Ruth in the Old Testament. The story of Ruth is a familiar one. We learned it in Sunday school, but uh, the the book of Ruth is something like a a club sandwich. You can uh, examine it on different levels. The great Samuel Johnson, who was the literary czar of England, once copied out the book of Ruth and took it to a meeting of some great learned people and he read it to them as though it were something new and they were amazed at it. They said, my, what a wonderful story. And then he said, that story comes from the book that you men despise, the Bible. It can be read as beautiful literature. It can be read as a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. It can be read as a picture of my relationship to Jesus Christ as an individual. It's a love story, not a romance, but a love story. In fact, there are three love stories in the Old Testament. Uh, Ruth is the story of Christ's love for his church. Hosea is the story of God's love for Israel. And Jonah is the story of God's love for the Gentiles, the lost world of the Gentiles. Now the story of Ruth. We cannot read it all, although it probably might do us more good if I just read the whole book to you and didn't preach. But there are four chapters in the book, and in each chapter we learn some lessons about the love of God. I've discovered that many people don't understand the love of God. I suppose the reason is they were brought up on television love and Hollywood love rather than the true 
holy love that is depicted in the Word of God. And so we're going to learn, as we turn the pages of the book of Ruth, several practical lessons about the love of God. Chapter 1, we're going to call weeping. And here we have the lesson of God's love in punishing. Now that startles some of you, because if you love me, you won't punish, you won't chasten. But just the opposite is true. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, which was a terrible time, if you'll look back at the previous book and the last verse, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We're living in that age today. There is no king in Israel. And because there is no king in Israel, we have chaos and anarchy and lawlessness in the world today. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Now, Elimelech means, my God is king. There was no king in Israel, but here's a man whose name was, My God is King. And yet God wasn't his king. He abandoned his native town of Bethlehem, and he went down to Moab. Now Moab was off limits for the Jews. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, says, The Ammonite and the Moabite shall not come into the congregation of Israel unto the tenth generation. The Moabites were the enemies of the Jews, and they are looked upon throughout all of the Old Testament as rejected, worse than rejected, despised. So here you have Elimelech and his wife Naomi, which means pleasant, and his two sons going down to Moab. Here you have a prodigal family. Instead of staying in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, and saying, God, we would rather die in your will than live outside of your will, they left and went to Moab. Now, Abraham did the same thing. When there was a famine in the land, he went down to Egypt. A famine came and Isaac almost did the same thing. God stopped him. That's the tendency for the Christian. When difficulties come, the first thing we do is run to the world for help. Go off to the, trust the ungodly. We can't trust God. We have to trust the ungodly world. And so down they go to Moab. Well, the boys got married. Verse 4, one boy married Orpah and one boy married Ruth. And for ten years they lived there in Moab. And then the two boys died and the husband died. And here's Naomi left with two daughters-in-law, and everything is against her. Now, dear friends, God was chastening Naomi and her family. I don't have to go into detail. There's no need to draw lurid pictures. All I'm going to say is when the child of God gets out of the will of God, the love of God will punish him. Just remember that. They couldn't trust the Lord, and so they went down to Moab, and everything fell apart. 
The husband died, the two sons died. Naomi says, don't you call me Naomi anymore. That means pleasant. I'm not pleasant. You call me Mara. That means bitter. She got bitter against God. I've seen this happen. I've seen God's people fail to trust the Lord in times of difficulty and get bitter and blame God. In fact, it gets to the point where she turns to her daughters-in-law and says, look, don't stay with me. I, I'm, I can't get married and have another couple of sons so you can get married again. Why don't you go back home? You know what she was saying? Go back to your heathen gods. Go back and worship the way the other people in Moab worship. Can you imagine a believer, a daughter of Israel, telling these people to go back to idolatry? That's what happens. It's bad enough that Naomi is backslidden. She has to lead her daughters-in-law out of the will of God. That's the sad thing about a Christian out of the fellowship of God. He influences other people to get out of fellowship with God. Well, as you remember, Orpha kissed her mother-in-law and said, Okay, I'm going back. But Ruth didn't. Ruth clave unto her. And she made that great speech which now shows up in wedding ceremonies. It's been made into a song. Entreat me not to leave thee or to turn away from following after thee. For whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be th my people. And notice this, thy God my God. In the midst of all of this weeping, a miracle takes place. Naomi is weeping tears of disappointment. She has been punished for her sins. Orpah is, is weeping tears of despair. She's going to have to say goodbye to people that she loves. Ah, but, but Ruth is weeping tears of devotion and decision. She says, I'm not going to leave you and I'll tell you why. It's not because you're the greatest mother-in-law in the world. I do love you, but I've learned something. I have learned that you people worship the true God of Israel. Now, here is an amazing thing. I can't see any reason why Ruth should have believed in the God of Israel. Naomi wasn't a very good example. Her husband certainly wasn't. If Ruth had been like some unbelievers, she would have said, You want me to believe in the God of Israel? Look! Your husband dies. Your two sons die. There's a famine back there in Bethlehem. You want me to trust that kind of a God? I'm glad that people don't get saved because of the excellencies of God's people. One of our hymns says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. One man was singing it, Judge not the Lord by feeble saints. I was chatting with a friend over the phone this week, and he said, look at all that's happened hither and yon. He said, how can people get saved? I said, wait a minute. People don't get saved because the saints are perfect. People get saved by the grace of God because Jesus Christ is perfect. Now, it's no excuse for us to backslide. I'm just saying it's a miracle of the grace of God that Ruth trusted the God of Israel. She didn't have any good examples to follow. Everything seemed against her making that decision. She said, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to stay right with you. And so they go back to Bethlehem, a 50-mile journey. They hear there's bread back in Bethlehem, and they come home. And they said, is this Naomi? They hadn't seen her for 10 years. 
and sorrow and tragedy and chastening had aged her, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Well, who's that with you? Oh, this is Ruth, my daughter-in-law. Did you ever stop to think that when Naomi took Ruth back home, Ruth was evidence that Naomi and her husband had disobeyed God? Oh, you mean your sons married heathen women? That's why she wanted them to go back home. Don't go back to Bethlehem with me. I don't want to take any evidence that would embarrass me. And Ruth says, I don't care if you get embarrassed. I've believed in the God of Israel. I'm not going to stay here in Moab. I'm going home with you. And they came about the beginning of barley harvest, which would be about the middle of April. Chapter 1, weeping. The lesson that God loves and he punishes. Every time I have gotten out of the will of God, God has spanked me, and I'm glad that he has. I'll tell you why. It's proof that I belong to him. He scourges every son that he receives. It's proof that he loves me. A teenager said to me one day at a summer camp, I wish my parents would punish me and prove that they love me. Chapter 2 we're going to call working. And in chapter 2 we learn God's love in providing and protecting. Now, at the end of chapter 1, Ruth has made a confession of faith. Your God shall be my God. And Naomi says, you mean you're trusting the God of Israel? Yes, I am. You aren't going to follow the idols of Moab? No, I believe that your God is the true God. And faith always leads to works. And so in chapter 2, you find Ruth working. They come to Bethlehem. And Ruth says to her mother-in-law, let me now go to the field and glean the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said, go, my daughter. And so she goes. The scripture says it, she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. But don't get the idea it was an accident or it was just a happenstance or it was luck. A Christian ought never to use the word luck or lucky. There's no such thing in the Christian life as luck. Providence. The leading of God. She falls into the territory that belongs to her kinsman, Boaz. Boaz means one in whom there is strength. Wasn't much strength in Naomi's husband. He died. The two boys died. Wasn't much strength left in Naomi. And here's Ruth. Oh, but one comes on the scene now in whom there is strength. Aren't you glad when you're reading a book and everything's falling apart and then there shows up somebody who can do something? It's like when the children are watching their little TV programs, you know, and everything is just disastrous. Then along comes somebody who can do something about it and you sit there and you applaud. That's what's going to happen now. We have Ruth working. Now, why was she working? Well, number one, she was concerned about Naomi. She said, I'm going to have to help take care of Naomi. We've got to have some food to eat. She said, I'll just do my share. I'll go out and be one of the gleaners. I'll go out in the field. And they had in the Old Testament law regulations that governed this. God was concerned about the poor. And he said to the reapers, now when you reap the land, don't go back and, and cover it again. You leave some in the corners for the poor people. If you drop something, don't pick it up. Just leave it there. And Ruth begins to glean in the field. She also went to work because she was that kind of a girl. 
Have you ever noticed in your Bible that people who are working get blessing from God? It's true. Uh, Peter wasn't uh, doing nothing when Jesus called him. He was taking care of his nets. Gideon, in all of his unbelief, was threshing out some wheat in the wine press. David was taking care of his father's sheep. People who are busy can expect God to do something for them. I was counseling once with a Christian who wasn't sure of the will of God, and he was doing nothing. He was just standing still. I said, look, my friend, get moving. Start doing something. Do the job that is the nearest to you, and God will direct you, and he did. And so Ruth goes to work, and she's working, and God begins to care for Ruth because Boaz did two things for Ruth. Number one, he protected her. Now, I get the impression that Ruth was a rather eligible woman. She was attractive. She was youthful. She was just the kind of a woman that many young men would like to have for their, hus- for their wife. They'd like to be the husband to her. And, of course, there were some men in Bethlehem who had some other designs upon this stranger, and Boaz protected her. When you read chapter 2, you see the the wonderful arms of Boaz, as he says to his workers, now, you watch over her. Let her rest over there in the shelter. Let her have some of the wine to drink. He protected her, and he provided for her. He said to the workers, uh, drop some handfuls on purpose. Just occasionally just drop something and let Ruth pick it up. Isn't it wonderful how the Lord does this for us? In his love... He provides for us, and in his love he protects us. They weren't even married yet. You know, long before I was saved, God protected me, and God provided for me. I was supposed to die at the age of two, and the Lord answered prayer, and he protected me. I'm glad he did and brought me to that happy day in May when I trusted Christ as my Savior, and he provided That's chapter 2, working, God's love in providing and protecting. Now, there is one word repeated three times in this chapter that you'd better mark. It's in verse 2. Let me go after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Verse 10. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground unto him, unto Boaz, and said, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. That word stranger means a foreigner. When she came into that field, prejudice went to work. And the other poor women who were gleaning kind of walked away and said, she's from Moab. You know what God said about Moab? It's in the book of Psalms. He said, Moab is my wash pot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe, and Moab is my wash pot. You know what that means? That's where I throw my garbage. And they said, well, she's from Moab. And they wouldn't talk to her, and they wouldn't do business with her, because she was a stranger. Now, when you read Ephesians chapter 2, you discover that there was a big distance between the Jews and the Gentiles, spiritually. God called Abraham a Jew. He didn't call a Gentile. God gave his law to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. God gave his temple to the Jews, not the Gentiles. God's presence lived with the Jews. God's priests were the Jews. 
God's sacrifices were on Jewish altars, and the Savior came from the Jewish nation. And the Gentiles, said Paul, were far off. They were strangers. Isn't that a picture of every unsaved person? Apart from God, a stranger. And she falls on her, at his feet and says, Why have I found grace in thy sight? Verse 13, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. Loving kindness. You see, God provided for her and God protected her because of his grace. James, or, uh, Ruth 2.12 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I didn't even know it was there. Oh, I've read it many, many times. I didn't even know it was there. One day I was with Dr. Oswald J. Smith, the uh, great founder and missionary pastor at the People's Church in Toronto. And I said, Dr. Smith, would you sign my Bible? I ask very few people to sign my Bible because I'm not a celebrity hunter. But I've always admired Dr. Oswald Smith. And so he did. He signed the front of this Bible. It's big enough. You can see it uh, three feet away. It says, Oswald J. Smith, 1974, Ruth 2:12. I thought he'd put down Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Some great... I said, what in the world is Ruth 2:12? So when nobody was watching, I turned and found Ruth 2:12. Here's what Boaz says to Ruth, the Lord recompense thy work. That's what she's doing in chapter 2, working. And a full reward be given thee by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Isn't that a great verse? You see, Boaz had heard that she had said, thy God shall be my God, and he said, I know you were born in Moab, and I know you belong to God's garbage dump, but you've come to trust the God of Israel, and you're under his wings. It's grace, pure grace. Well, something's going to happen now. Chapter 3, we move from weeping and working to waiting and we see God's love not in punishing and not in protecting and providing, but in promising. Chapter 3 is a marvelous chapter. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? That's the thing she needed was rest. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, when Naomi tried to get rid of the girls, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And she kissed them and said, now go, get going. But you can't find rest in Moab. You can't find rest out in the world. You can't find rest out in sin. There's only one place you can really find rest. That's in the love of God. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Now, you talk like this to the average congregation. They scratch their heads and say, this fellow's gone mystical. He's strange. But chapter 3, we have Ruth waiting God's love in promising. Naomi says to her, Boaz is our kinsman. 
Now, you people are good Bible students, and so when I explain this, you'll say, yes, I know that. But there may be somebody here who doesn't know this. There was a law in Israel to prevent the land from being lost to the Jews. If I were a member of the tribe of Judah or Dan, and I became poor, and I had to sell my property, and therefore my family was losing its inheritance, a kinsman could come along. One of my relatives could come along and say to me, I will redeem you and your property. You don't have to sell yourself into slavery. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to lose your inheritance. I'll purchase it for you. And Boaz was Naomi's kinsman. Now, Naomi had first choice on Boaz. Did you know that? Naomi had first choice on Boaz, but she gave it to Ruth. She said, Ruth, I'm going to let you get this man as your husband. You see, the bitter woman of chapter 1 becomes the blessed woman of chapter 3. Now she says to Ruth, you wash yourself. You see, up till now she'd been wearing her widow's garments. And she'd been out in the field working, and everybody recognized her as a, as a widow. And he, she said, look, change your clothes, anoint yourself, and go down to the threshing floor. Now, once again, you people know this. When they were threshing in the harvest, they often did it, usually did it in the evening, when that wind was blowing or toward late afternoon. They'd throw the grain up, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and the grain would come down. The threshing time and the winnowing time was a great festive time for the Jewish people. Whole families would sleep out there at the threshing floor. And so when Ruth went out to the threshing floor, she was not being indiscreet. She wasn't doing some underhanded thing. There were many people out there, men, women, children, each of them in their own particular location. And Boaz had been threshing and he had been winnowing and he went to sleep. I don't know what he was dreaming about, but uh, the answer to his prayer was about to come. Now Naomi said to Ruth, you go out there, and at midnight, you just uncover his feet. That's the way you're saying to him, I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. And she did. Boaz wakes up, and he says, who's here? And she says, uh, I'm here. I'm Ruth, thy handmaid. Look at verse uh, 9 of chapter 3. Spread there, therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. You see, back in chapter 2, she was under God's wings. Now she was to come under Boaz, protection and love. Now Boaz is happy about this. He says, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. Thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. You've been awfully kind to your mother-in-law, but you're showing much more kindness to me. Thou hast followed not the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, fear not. You see, from here on in, he does all the talking. Now, sometimes it's just good for us to close our mouths and listen. And her kinsman redeemer is talking. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. 
For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. I am thy near kinsman, but there is a kinsman nearer than I. Complications. Now, if this were on television, they'd keep this going for three months. Tarry this night. It shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then, here's the promise, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. Well, when she gets up the next morning, he just fills her arms with all sorts of grain and says, take this back. It's one of the tokens of my love to you. So she goes back and... Uh, Verse 18, well, I like verse 16, I shouldn't skip that. When she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, How hast thou fared, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter. You know, it's one of the hardest things to do sometimes. Today they'd be running down to Marshall Field getting registered. Sit still, my daughter until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest. There's that word rest again. I'm going to find you rest, Ruth, but he'll find no rest until he's finished the thing this day. And now we have Ruth waiting. God's love shown in his promise. You know, God has promised that Jesus Christ shall one day marry me. Did you know that? If you and I are members of the bride of Jesus Christ, if you're saved, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you're born again, one of these days you're going to a wedding. And now we're waiting. And the Holy Spirit says, look, just, just sit still and wait. He'll keep his promise. God's love in promising. Which leads us now to chapter 4. Chapter 1 we called weeping. In chapter 2 we called working. In chapter 3 we've called waiting. Chapter 4, obviously, we have to call wedding. Here we have God's love not in punishing. That's all taken care of. Not in providing or protecting. That's all taken care of. Not even in promising. Here we have God's love in purchasing. Oh, this is a great scene. Boaz goes to the gate. The gate was the city hall. If you lost a lawsuit, they said that he gave you the gate. And Boaz went up to the gate and sat there and waited for the kinsman to come along. Ho, such a one! Oh, come here and sit down. They sat down. All sorts of fellows around there just waiting, watching, witnessing. He said, now you know what? Naomi's come back from Moab and she's selling a plot of ground that belongs to Elimelech and he was our kinsman. And uh, I have a chance to buy it, but you have... Uh, first option on it. Do you want to buy the property? He said, I certainly do. And Boaz says, now you know that when you buy the field, you have to marry Ruth. And the kinsman says in verse 6, oh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. You can redeem it. Oh, that man was happy. And they, he took off his shoe. That's the way they do it when they confirm things in those days. And he said, buy it for thyself. And he drew off his shoe. And he said to the man, now you are witnesses. He's selling me the property. And he's selling me Ruth. 
he fulfilled his promise, your witnesses this day. And so he took Ruth and she became his wife and there was a wedding. Now this, this book begins with, with three funerals and it ends with a wedding. It begins with a woman's sons dying and it ends with that same woman holding her grandchild in her arms and nursing him. Wedding. God's love in purchasing. Now, in order for a man to be a kinsman redeemer, he had to meet three qualifications. Not anybody could be a kinsman redeemer. You had to meet three qualifications. One, you had to be the near relative. Couldn't be a stranger. You had to be a near relative. Two, you had to be willing to redeem. Three, you had to be able to redeem. Now, the first fellow, whose name we don't know, he was a near relative, and he was willing to redeem. He was able to redeem, but he wasn't willing to redeem. But Boaz was a near relative. He was willing to redeem. He was able to redeem. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus. One day the Lord Jesus looked at us and saw that we'd lost our inheritance. He looked at us and saw that we were poor outsiders, strangers. He saw that we had nothing. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become that fellow's near relative. And he came down to this earth and took upon himself human flesh, and he became our near relative. He was made flesh. Therefore, he was a near relative, a kinsman. Jesus Christ is your kinsman. He took upon himself humanity that he might get close enough to you to redeem you. Is he able to redeem? Oh, yes, he's the holy, harmless Son of God. Is he willing to redeem? God is not willing that any should perish. But, Lord, this might mar your own inheritance. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus looking at us as sinners and saying, well, why should I mar my own inheritance for those people, for drunks and for dope addicts and for sinners and liars? I should do that. He did. He did. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, oh, my soul. Instead of Jesus saying, well, look, I don't dare purchase those people. They would mar my own inheritance. He said, I'm going to purchase those people and make them my inheritance. And so that you and I tonight as Christians are the inheritance of God, the bride of Jesus Christ, because he purchased us on the cross of Calvary. And so Ruth gets married, and there she finds the rest that she's looking for. And there she finds wealth, because Boaz was a wealthy man. Verse 11, The Lord make the woman who is come into thine house like Rachel and Leah, who built the house of Israel. And God blessed her abundantly with rest and joy and all that she ever needed. As I said at the very beginning, you can read this book on many different levels. You can see in it Christ and the church. We were outsiders. He purchased us and made us his bride. You can see in it Christ and the individual believer, trusting him, serving him, submitting to him. Twice in this book you find Ruth at his feet. In chapter 2, she's at his feet as a servant. In chapter 3, she's at his feet 
as a suitor, she is presenting her love to him. And then chapter 4, sharing his very life. You see, in chapter 2, she ate his food. In chapter 3, she received of his gifts. But don't stop there. In chapter 4, she got him. Not just the gifts, but the giver. Not just words of love, but the lover. One of these days, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and we'll have him. Jesus, thou joy of loving heart. It's a wonderful love story. I don't know where you are in this book. You might be in chapter 1, still out there in that foreign land. The turning point in Ruth's life, three words, I will go. Just like Rebecca. Will you go with this man? I will go. But Rebecca had a lot of evidence. She saw gold and silver. She saw a whole line of camels loaded with wealth. She said, hey, I'm going to marry a rich man. Over in chapter 1 of Ruth, when Ruth said, I will go, whither thou goest, I will go. When she said that, she had no evidence of anything. She didn't know what the future held. You don't have to know what the future holds if you know the one who holds the future. Where are you in this book? Are you in chapter 1, lonely, broken, rejected, weeping? Are you in chapter 2, working, trying to satisfy God? Are you in chapter 3, waiting? I don't know where you are in this book, but I hope that each of us gets to that point in chapter 4 where we just have the love of his heart. We're not satisfied with gleaning in his field. We aren't even satisfied with just being at his feet. We want him. We want the love of his heart. And we want to be fruitful for his glory. Ruth is the woman who was willing to wait. And because she waited, God blessed. Gracious Father, there are so many lessons in this beautiful book. Speak to us with whatever we need. For those who are impatient, Grant, O oh God, that gift of waiting. Because you'll keep your word. You're going to keep your promise. But, Lord, all of us need to grow in our love. We're happy for your blessings. We, we appreciate your gifts. But, Father, we need to get deeper into the love of the Lord Jesus, into the heart of Jesus, deeper and deeper I go. Oh, help us to do that, Lord, that his love might so fill us and then spill over onto others. I pray for the one here tonight who is out away, who needs to come home, needs to be saved, who needs to realize Jesus paid it all. Help that one to come and believe tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. All of Dr. Warren Wearsby's material is owned and managed by Script Text. The material contained in this podcast is copyrighted and is for personal use only, not to be duplicated or sold without prior written consent from Script Text.